I think it's important to note that we're not always going to get it right. Someone's going to listen to this and say, oh my goodness, that's not true, or I can't believe. But the bottom line is, I think as long as we are on a journey to be authentic, to really be transparent, to be vulnerable, and to be honest, I will tell you that's my number one thing is honesty. And if we're curious, I think that invites so many more opportunities. The minute we start to assume and assign, I think we've lost the opportunity to learn about ourselves and someone else. Welcome to Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. I'm your host, Rebecca Corin. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Polenta Kivet, Executive Vice President, Chief People and Talent Officer at Tampa General Hospital. On this episode, Polenta takes us on a captivating journey into Tampa General's Ask John program, where she shares how a single question sparked transformative change across the entire organization. Then we explore the vital role of emotions in decision-making and leadership. And Polenta will share with us a personal story of how this has impacted her. We wrap up our conversation focusing on the ever-evolving area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, where Polenta will share about their unwavering commitment to serving patients from all walks of life and fostering a culture for everyone of appreciation and belonging. Let's dive in. Polenta, welcome to Moments Move Us. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. No, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you. You know, I wanted to kick off our conversation today with a quote that you shared about yourself and you said, I've never checked a box. Why start now? Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and what kind of boxes are we talking about? So I think we all have ideas on what someone looks like in certain positions, certain roles in life. And for me, I've never checked that. I've never fit that. I've been the one in the room that I look around and I'm the only one that looks like me for a variety of reasons. Or I ask the question thinking differently about things, whether it's generational, whether it's a, a, another demographic or background. It's something that for me, I've never been the traditional person, which I think has worked in my favor, but it hasn't always been comfortable. <laughs> That discomfort is really interesting because I feel like when we get into situations where we feel like the person that's sort of an outsider, it creates an opportunity for us to see things differently, but it also can create dynamics that I think put people in situations where they can't always be their authentic self or share things as much as they would normally. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, there's a lot of different factors that contribute to that. There's a lot of, I think, self-comfort that has to come and self-acceptance. And that's something that is certainly a journey for all of us. Anyone that has 100% at that journey, I want to talk to them (laughs) on how they got there. But I think it's an ongoing journey. And then we get to choose places where we show up. And I think that is so powerful when we get to say, you know what, if my voice isn't valued, then I'm not going to contribute it. That's one aspect. But I think the bigger piece is, Not only am I not going to contribute it, I'm going to find a place where it is valued. And I think that's where we are in a time where there's so many organizations, there are so many individuals that are more aware now than ever and are creating that space. 
So true. And I think about Tampa General and some of the work that you guys have done there and how your leadership team is one of the most diverse leadership team. You are the best place for women to work. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like do this at scale to help people feel like they can show up in the way that they want to? Absolutely. So I've been here, it'll be two years, April 5th. And one of the things that attracted me here was actually what I just said, which was at this point, it's understanding that finding a place where I'm valued and I can contribute and learn. For me, it's so important to be able to learn as well and have space to learn and ask questions and challenge the status quo. And I think it starts at the top. So John Corse is our president and CEO. And he is someone that I have said this to him. I've said it away from him also, but he looked for people that didn't necessarily fulfill their traditional paradigm. So I think by doing that, he didn't go through a list and say, I want these demographics. He went through and said, I want these characteristics and I want to challenge the status quo and I want to create something that is new and innovative. And by doing that, he created, I think, a attractiveness of Tampa General that led to executives from a wide variety of backgrounds to come here and to stay here. And we get to create that continued thought process of you don't have to, we have a hierarchy. It's a hierarchy of accountability is what I like to say. So if something goes wrong, that's my responsibility. If things are going well, the team is creating that. The team can't create that if I don't, if I or the other team members or leaders don't create the space for them to be able to say, I have a different idea. They have contributions. They're the ones doing the work. Why aren't we looking to them to solve the issues and to bring the innovation, innovative solutions? Totally. A powering workforce, I think, is something that in healthcare, we've definitely gone through some trends with. I think it was like we we're so focused, our patient-centered at some point that we forgot about all the caregivers that were surrounding that experience. And now really looking at the quadruple aim and what does it mean to have caregivers in the center of work that we do and I think about empowerment and innovation as part of sort of critical aspects of that. What are some ways that you see that shaking out? And how has that brought about some of this culture or sort of systemic change that you've had at Tampa General? One of the things that I think we are doing well, it's a work in progress, but is actually taking the focus from we are here for the patients and we're here to serve the patients. And that's not going to change. That's what we're here to do. But people have to do that. And I think where we have started and continue to have the conversations, especially out of after COVID, not just at Tampa General, but in the industry, is building appreciation for each other. You have the caregivers, and then you have a large group of individuals that care for the caregivers. So you're talking about your IT teams, your quality teams, your human resources and human capital teams that also got very burnt out during this time because we quickly had to switch the way that we did things and the people that create and support those structures live outside of that paradigm. And so that is one of the things that I think is super important that we have brought forth. So during COVID, there were no layoffs. There were no furloughs here at Tampa General. I was not here during that time. And that is a decision that the organization made. So understanding that we have ambulatory care sites as well. So it's not just the hospital. We, have, we are throughout the state no layoffs, no furloughs. The other thing was set up was an emergency fund. It is, there was a recognition that during that time, a lot of households went from two or three households of people making money and, and contributing to a household of one and recognizing that. 
those are some examples. We have a facility, a wellness workout. We have a gym, we have wellness resources, but there was actually a flip during that time to have things go electronic on, as an app. So you could still maybe get a quick 15 minute session in your downtime. We have mindfulness resources. So I share all of that because all of those things came from team members providing their voice. And so it goes back to what I said earlier. If your voice is valued, you're going to continue to contribute your voice. And so that's something that was started far before I started. But that was actually one of the things that attracted me here is that we were interested and centered around what do the team members need? We can't fulfill everything, but we have an open two-way conversation and lots of ways to provide that feedback, both qualitative and quantitatively. What you're saying is so powerful because I think that sometimes we really overcomplicate things in healthcare yeah. where there's so many challenges right now. No one's denying that, but we've overcomplicated it to such a level that when you go, when you actually have these meaningful conversations and you appreciate where someone else is coming from, and then you listen to what they're suggesting, it really, it simplifies some of this extremely complex, like multi-pronged, touching everything challenge that we're in right now. Is that what you have found as well? A hundred percent. I laugh when you said that because it reminded me I was here probably eight months and we have something called Ask John, which is our CEO. He looks at people can submit anonymously or they can assign their name to questions. So we look at all of the questions and we're answering Ask John questions and someone asked the question and the, they submit it through a portal. So we're going through them and they asked can we change our tuition reimbursement policy? Here's what I'd like to do. And he looks at me and he says, Valenta, can we do this? I said, yes, I'm actually working on a business case for us to be able to make the change. He said, what's the impact to the team member? I said, this is what it would create for them. I really recommend we go this way, but this is what it would create. Here's the financial impact of doing that. And he goes, great, let's do it. Can we change it tomorrow? And I was like, let's get some communication out first. Let's update the policy. It's going to take us maybe a week or two. I said, but we can start communicating this immediately for the first of the month. That to me was so exciting. I was like, I am at the right place because in a moment, it, it was like, we didn't have to wait six months. We didn't have to wait till the budget cycle. Not everything doesn't work out that organically, but that's how quick and real that change is and can be. Yeah, and when you have a rapid decision like that, the impact is felt so intensely. Like I, I remember having a conversation about like questions that we ask patients, like either during their time of care or after. And if, if you ask a patient a question and they answer you and it's coming back with a response that then needs a response back from you and you don't give them a response back, they're even more upset than they were prior to you asking the question. And this is the exact same sort of situation. So like the ask and answer piece of we got to get back to them. And the fact that he did that so quickly and you had already been there, I mean, that for a team member to have shared that and then see this happen so quickly, how gratifying. And that's what we see. We have so many channels of being able to change things that they don't have to go to John and they can be done at the unit level and we can just make the change. And so what we've actually been focusing on is how do we get to the just do it? How do we empower our leaders to get comfortable? Because if you're coming from a different system, that's not something that's a norm in healthcare, right? We have to go through so much bureaucracy, and that's not something that we're really interested in doing here. We want to be safe always. Quality is our number one driver after our team members, but that's our number one driver. We have to be safe. But 
It's innovate and fail fast. Yeah. And you don't hear that in healthcare the way that you hear it here. And that's something that's innovative. I will tell you one of the things that friends ask me, what made you choose Tampa General? And I said, without going into everything I said, the CEO was going to present at South by Southwest during the during COVID and it got canceled. And they go, ah, I get it. Yeah, that's amazing because it's like you think about being outside the industry. You think about failing quickly, iterating. That is something culturally that I think we have definitely not embraced enough in healthcare. And I think we're taking baby steps to get there. But one thing that the pandemic did that everyone can attest to is it allowed us to take chances and to try new things, put them into place immediately and see what happens. And I think the whole notion of iterating, fall quickly, get up, iterate again, gets us into such a better place. But I think people have a lot of fear around that failure part. And obviously we're not talking about like risk that leads to an outcome related to a patient quality event, but we're talking about like little things that along the way really build up and can help us. What would you say to other health systems about this? Because I feel like I, we need to start embracing change. You can't embrace change without embracing failure. So I, we can't grow without making mistakes, right? That's the same thing. And so I think as an academic health institution, one of the things that we've taken seriously is the learning aspect. So we have a partnership with University of South Florida that it's the People Development Institute. And the thought behind that is actually research on the behavioral side of things. So we have clinical research that is obviously paramount to who we are as an academic medical center, but it's on the behavioral side of things. So what do leaders need? If we're doing change, what are the core components? The emotional intelligence aspects. It's completely free to our team members and our leaders. And it's actually not only the behavioral aspects, but it's also an education and intellectual component around finance. If we need you to know how to do certain things in finance, why don't we teach you? And I think those are the things that we're finding, oh, we made a mistake here. Let's incorporate that here. And let's make sure that we're continuing to iterate. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time. Our goal with anything is zero harm not zero mistakes. It's impossible. If you have humans, you're going to have mistakes, but it's zero harm to our patients, to our team members, to our community. That is our goal. So well said. It's a beautiful notion. You can have zero harm and still make mistakes and get better and iterate. Because if we don't, then we're always going to be way behind. And we have to change our mindset around that. It reminds me of this feeling that you shared a little bit earlier about this discomfort of being someone who maybe, you know, this sort of out of the box concept. And I'm curious about how you see this playing out. It's Women's History Month. I'd love for you to just chat maybe a little bit about your journey with this, maybe a moment that you really felt like you were able to live this value fully and that it was embraced or not embraced. No. So I will share it here, actually. So during the pandemic, one of the things that I think separates us and the way that we approach even our team members from some other organizations is we use a data-driven approach. And then we use the voice, just like a patient voice, to shape how we're going to move. So we we saw this opportunity to that people wanted flexibility. And the reason everyone talked about it, but the reason we knew is because our data told us that people wanted flexibility. So we actually noticed that people with more flexibility had higher engagement survey results, meaning they weren't 100% remote, they weren't 100% here, 
they had the flexibility. So one or two or three days on campus. So that's one. We also noticed that difference in our, our FTEs. So how, what someone's schedule is versus our headcount. There was a bigger gap than there had ever been. So we're watching this take place. And then we had a benefit survey that we also did last year in February that went out and said it allowed people to identify their gender. It allowed people to identify what was important to them. There were some other identifiable demographics, which was super important to this journey for us to, because we're hearing all these things. People want childcare. We, people want X, Y. What we noticed is that two things. People wanted flexibility. So that was number one. Number two was that the women and we got number one by Forbes, best places to work for women. The things that were resonated the most with those that identified, self-identified as women were actually the education, growth, and development opportunities and the variety of them. Hmm. And so what that told us is that there was a schedule demand. It was really interesting to jump to, and I had some conversations with colleagues. It was easy for somebody said, oh, it's the childcare that you provide. And I said, that's an interesting assumption. Actually, childcare resonated more with our those that identified as male than it did those that identified as female. I said, that, now, I can't unpack the why. I can only tell you what the data says. So what it drove us to do was explore different staffing. So this goes back to the original question. And I, knowing we have staffing challenges, knowing that our in the industry agency was booming. And so what we did was taking lots of uh, all of this input. And I went to our president and CEO and I said, John, you all had the foresight years ago to build a staffing company within the organization. It didn't work out back then. Don't know what happened, but I would like to explore making it an actual internal staffing company. We talked about it for a few minutes. He goes, go for it. Wait, what? <laughs> I said, okay. So I started to socialize it with my colleagues. A group of us came together and we were able to actually establish a staffing company. We have an internal staffing company that launched. So this was, there was a big group around this, but it launched in October of last year. It is right now a nursing. And so it's actually growing. So now we are transitioning it into a full-fledged staffing company that serves all of our internal organizations. And so we have lots of different entities. We have a large ambulatory footprint. So we have one large hospital, but we have rehab centers and partnerships. We have those on the ambulatory centers on the East Coast. So the goal now is to serve our entire system. So the reason that this comes to mind when you said, where has it been welcomed? And it was, it didn't take a lot of thought. He said, Go socialize it, work with your colleagues, and let's see if we can do it. So there were so many of us that shaped it, that influenced it, and now it's live. And now we're iterating, right? We didn't know it was going to be as successful as, it's, as it is. and But it was the welcoming of this non-traditional idea. The interesting thing is I had shared this idea previously, and in another company, great company, and they just said, no, sorry, we it's not going to work. And I provided some examples of just, even if we only got 10 people in it, here's our savings. Sorry, we just, we can't do it. Okay. So to be at an organization where you put it forth, 
He said, go build it. At that point, it's on me, right? I have to be able to appeal to my counterparts. I have to leave space for them to also help solve the issue and help shape it. I couldn't have done it by myself. But in this environment, we had difficult conversations. We had conversations of why it wouldn't work and let's solve around it. But nobody said, we can't do it. They said, let's go. Wow, that's really moving. I mean, that's so exciting. It also really just supports why you guys succeed at the level that you do in Excel. I mean, you look at like the way you took us down this path. And I think about assumptions that are made constantly about what a group of people may need, what we think staff needs. And it's those assumptions that lead us down paths that take months, years to come back from because so much went one direction when everybody down here needed a completely different approach that might've taken us in a zigzag the other way. It's hard to be able to have the courage to share things like this. Can you share with, and you are just someone who is just so courageous. When I am around you, I just feel like you are, your energy is just inspiring to others. People feel like they can share their voice too. How did you get this way? What led to this point? (laughs) I think there are a lot of different things. I I will tell you, I think in, to be fully candid, I don't think that it always translates to everyone either. I actually just had a conversation with someone and it was recent. The person didn't think I liked them. And it's because my approach is, I get that from a traditional perspective, I am not their traditional human capital, human resources executive. And I get that. And so people start to assign things to me that of what I must be or what, when I do something, what that must mean. And so when someone's comfortable, I do invite them to have that conversation. So you asked what made me this way. I would say my upbringing for sure. I will never forget. My grandmother was an educator. She got her master's degree later in life, but went to college. She just was such a strong, smart woman. And my grandparents played such a big role in my life. They lived across the street from us, actually. So my maternal grandparents. And so I remember my grandmother, I was always tall. I'm tall. And I remember like being shrinking in, especially in middle school. And she would poke me in the spine and she would say, stand up. And I'm like, I am standing up. She's be proud, stand up, be proud. She would also tell me anytime someone complimented me, <laughs> she said, beauty is only skin deep, ugly is to the bone. And so I, th- I think about that all the time. She and my great grandmother, by the way, her mother lived right next door. Just imagine that. It was amazing growing up when you were doing well, when you did something poorly, it was, you had to walk across the street. You had to walk the block basically. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Colenta, I have to tell you, I just got chills with that story. I'm also tall and I have, I remember vividly in middle school, constantly slouching. I think I was like the tallest person in my entire grade, even yeah. taller than boys. Maybe one boy was as tall as me. Same. Same. Okay. <laughs> and I remember vividly my grandmother telling me, put your shoulders back. And she was an educator too. She taught preschool. She put your shoulders back you need to stand up straight. And I remember being like, oh gosh, but now like everyone can like really see me. But that training, I think really helped to be like, don't hide. Yes. And I think it's something that I don't know about you, but I still am like, I don't want to be noticed. But I think that there are some times that you can't avoid it. So you either have to take the space or the space is going to take over you. And, And that's your choice. And so I would say the shaping would be my family. My mother was also an educator. 
And growing up, she was very quiet. So she was the opposite. Now as an adult, she is not like that, but she didn't want me to be that way. And so every opportunity, whether it was a conversation with my fourth grade teacher, which if we had more time, she sent me to have a conversation with my fourth grade teacher. I was in fourth grade and she's, nope, you need to have a conversation with her after class. Once you talk to her, then I'll get involved. And that's when my parents got involved with my mother and my father. But I think it was so important. Your life makes sense looking back and not forward. It was a constant, I think, encouragement to use my voice. Mm. to make sure that I took up the space or the space was going to take me, right? And so I had to make that choice. And I think finding that energy and being able to channel your energy, it's something that I will tell you, I will work on for probably the rest of my life. But it's knowing that if you're valued, you're going to provide value to that space. And if you're not, then Now I'm at the point in life and in my career that I'm like, this isn't the right place for me. Luckily, that is not the case here. (laughs) Yes. Wow. It also really helps you, I think, to set the space for other people. Like when you're the one setting the tone and you can empower everyone around you to be able to fill that space and to be bigger and to share energy, just like you said. So in in a lot of ways, it's it's an exercise in how we grow as an individual, but really in leadership, I think, that a lot of us can learn from. Absolutely. And I also think the mistakes of assigning who you must be because of X. So what I usually, if someone comes and provides me feedback, I'll say, what can I do next time? to provide you space to that you could have felt like you you could have spoken to me about that. Or at the beginning, when we first interacted and you didn't think I liked you, yeah. what was it? And what could I have done differently? And a lot of times with that, there are always things it could be, well, put to your tone was slightly off. Okay, that's helpful. Can you call me out next time? Yeah. And that empowers them to share. But it's also people taking ownership about the way that they feel as well. And somebody did that recently with me. I said, what could I have done differently? And he said, actually nothing. When I thought about it, I had assigned to you. And he said in his own words, like what you meant, you clearly didn't say that, but that's how I felt. And so because I felt that way, you must've meant it that way. And he goes, that wasn't fair. There's also a pattern here, Colento, where I think you're clearly welcoming feedback from other people, which is something that's really hard to do. I think that we're very scared sometimes to hear the truth about how we show up and how it makes others feel. And for others to be able to actually say that back to us in a way that was like, yeah, like maybe your tone was a little off where I, I imputed something into what you said, even though really those weren't the words you used. But clearly you're doing something that's allowing people to be able to give that feedback. And that's so important. I think it's it's difficult, right, to give feedback. And so I think once you establish a relationship or an openness. So I will tell you, sometimes people will be like, I didn't think I could give you feedback because, you know, you're stoic or you're, and I'm like, I'm still a human. I still have things I can work on. And I will tell you, recently, I had a meeting with my direct reports. It's probably been about four or five months and there are, there were five of them. And so we're sitting in a meeting and I said, am I overthinking this? And I said, I guys, I could be overthinking this. Tell me, tell me if I'm over, overthinking this. And so some of the people had been working with me for a while. So they were like, oh, this is easy. Once I think you're overthinking it a little bit. And so the person that needed to say it, she's, I don't know if you're overthinking it. Perhaps you're coming at it. I said, tell me I'm overthinking it. And so finally she goes, 
you're overthinking it. And before I could say, how did it feel? Her colleague goes, how did it feel? She goes, terrible. And we just start laughing. And I said, we're going to get you there. (laughs) It was one of those things that it felt mean to her. Yeah. And I said, it feels mean to you, but we're not going to bring forth the best, most possible or positive solution if we're not challenging each other. Completely. And I also think, and this is this again, I don't want to stereotype, but I do feel like women sometimes feel this way. It's like when feedback is being given, it's not mean. Yeah. It, the intention is not to be mean. It's to share so that the relationship can get improved. And actually it ends up helping both people in that interaction. So I feel like that's such an important thing. And remind me, were you an athlete growing up? I was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like being an athlete helps a lot with this because you get coached a lot. And so you're used to hearing feedback every single day over and over about how you can get better. So when you get older, you're so used to hearing feedback and taking that, that you come to it with a different sort of mentality. I agree. But I think, and I think the difference though, is that if you're coached on the court or in a sport, it's very different because there's a whole society that coaches around getting better in a sport. People's intellect, we don't coach people's intellect or their ability to lead, which is very different. Like from a young age, being right was rewarded. So there's this whole psychology around when you get to the workplace and someone says, hey, you might want to think about approaching this differently. You feel... I'll never forget the first time I was sitting with some leaders and my leader was sitting there and someone said, gave me some feedback in real time. And these were leaders of mine. And my visceral reaction was they are wrong. That did not happen. That is not true. And then as I took a time away to reflect on it and I went back and I said, you know what? I sat with my direct leader and I said, you know what? I thought about it. And I think regardless of my intent, I get how they received it. So I think I'm going to try it this way. And so I think that's where my coaching came back up. Wait a minute. You can be better, but you, when you're getting corrected, like you've been rewarded from a leadership and technical and intellectual perspective for being right. That is such a good point. It's a really important point because again, it goes back to the culture. Like in a sports culture, it's expected, as you said, it's not like a surprise or anything. And yes, in a work culture, you think about how there is going to be some feedback from leadership, but in terms of feedback from your peers, feedback from your customers, our patients, whatever it is, like, how do we open ourselves up to really hear it and to be in a place where we can take it in and get better? Yeah. And knowing when to give it, right? So I think as an early leader, I wanted to protect and protection comes across as, I can't do anything right. Oh, on this presentation, you need to change these six things. Oh, on that email, you might want to do this. And you're like, you feel good about it. You're like, oh, I'm helping this person. This person's going to be great. And then when you sit down, they're like, hey, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Yeah. Because you're constantly giving feedback. So I think it's also finding the right times. So true. Like in sports during a game, You might get yelled at, go left, go right, but you're not getting overly corrected in the moment. That happens in practice. Absolutely. And there are fine times. So true. And I also feel like we in healthcare spend a lot of time focusing on 
all the things that are going wrong. We're constantly talking about it. We're not talking all the time about all the amazing moments that things are actually going really well. And if we don't talk about those moments and do strengths-based coaching and focus on these amazing stories that happen every single moment, like I think we're about where you're sitting right now at the hospital. It's like how many stories are happening this second at Tampa General that moments, people's lives are being impacted by even the smallest thing. That needs to be elevated as much as possible so that then when the feedback comes, when there are opportunities, which there always are, you have the confidence to be able to get better. (laughs) Yes, and know how to give and receive it, right? Right. If you, you are doing great at X, you'd be even better if you could do Y. And understanding where the person is, I actually just was talking to someone the other day and I said, she said, I was giving, I was being so compassionate and I was giving advice. And I said, but it did not translate in compassion. So what happened was someone was sitting, opening up and sharing, and the leader wanted to provide a solution. And I think a lot of times yeah. we don't stop to listen and understand our role. Yeah. And it happens so often. Yeah. Or we think, oh, because you're ex, I remember having a leader that I worked with and she has now gone on to lead in other organizations that I worked with in, in my past. And she says, I have to quit being so emotional. And I said, why? Because that's not what's accepted. I said, but is it who you are? Yes. I said, so isn't that part of your magic? That's part of what makes people feel comfortable around you. That's part of what makes you so effective. So why do you have to be stop being so emotional? I would encourage you to stop being so uncomfortable with your emotion. And we sat there and we had a great conversation. I said, the fact that you cry when something moves you, it's not like you, it's not like it's inappropriate while you're talking or presenting or there's nothing inappropriate about it. That's okay. Yes. Yes. A million times. I cannot say yes enough about this. I feel like what you're saying is so important. And I think that when we get into leadership levels, we have a tendency to think, or people have a tendency to think, I have to be less emotional now. And I have to keep my feeling out of this. But the feeling is what makes us human that helps us actually drive decisions. Now, should we always make decisions out of pure emotions? Of course not. The emotions are an expression that are an important part of connecting with other people. If you're emotionless, you're not going to be able to connect. And you're right. It's like your magic. I love how you said that. That's part of their magic. I think about this all the time because we read patient stories at my company in the beginning at many meetings at the end of every team call. And I will tell you, Kalinda, I cry 50% of the time. Like I, it's like the most amazing story. And I'm being, I can't not do that. At first I was not doing it. Like six years ago, I was like, Rebecca, control yourself. Come on, woman. Like you can't be crying on the phone here with all these people, get it together. And then I realized like, I'm not being real if I'm not being able to show that this really touched me. And I think it's really hard to own that because our culture doesn't really accept it as well as I think maybe it should. It's interesting because I feel like there's, this goes back to checking the box, right? That, that person, that amazing leader and individual, and I can call her friends now as well, but she really, that was her magic and that was okay. And she's looking at me and she's like, you're not emotional in the same way. I was like, but that's okay. Someone else's discomfort with the way that I process emotion I'm open to explaining to you, like, this is how I process emotion. It's not going to look like tears and that's fine. But I remember someone telling me, I asked for feedback. I said, what would you, 
like for me to do differently? And he says to me, maybe be a little bit more vulnerable. And I said, what does that mean to you? And he said, maybe you don't have it all together. And I was like, if you would have asked me, I'll tell you, I don't have it all together. Do you want to sit and have the list? But again, it was me learning at some point that I can't be responsible for the discomfort that someone else feels if I've provided the space for the conversation. So he was actually uncomfortable with the fact that I wasn't as outwardly emotional or that I didn't seem dragged down or he wasn't interested in learning what does that look like for me? Yeah. So like my team notes, if there are papers all over my desk, they can check in with me. Like something's not okay. (laughs) And I'm open about that. I'm like, guys, if you walk in and there are things up my table, just be like, what's happening? And they do. But it's seeking to understand how do you process emotion as opposed to saying you're supposed to be because you're a woman, that's how I took it. You're supposed to be in my office crying about this. And I was just like, if that's what you're expecting, I'm not the right person. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what you're getting at, though, is individuality. It's stop putting us, stop bucketing people into an assumption of this is how you show up or this is how I think you should show up. Yeah. And then when you show up as you, there's a jarring impact on that because it's like, well, hold on, you're not fitting exactly what I want or you're not exactly what I would have imagined. And maybe you're not being like, maybe you're being vulnerable in your way. That looks a lot different than maybe what that person was used to seeing vulnerability as. And that is part of sort of the essence of humanity that we need to live in this world of really how people can feel comfortable. And I think back to the women that work at your organization and have identified what, why they're there and then why everyone else might think they're there is a little bit different because each person has their own sort of intention, a desire and future state who they are, like who's in their DNA. And they're magic. I want to go back to that. That was so beautiful. And oh, goodness, that was amazing, Valentin. I want to ask you about that. When you think about magic, and this is, this, I think this will be our final question of today because this has been just a fantastic conversation. We could go on and on, I'm sure. How, actually, I'm going to ask you two questions. So scratch that. <laughs> First question. Can you talk a little bit about magic and how, as leaders, we can help unleash other people's magic within a health system right now. Because I feel like this is a huge area of opportunity in our industry, and culture has never been more important. And frankly, a lot of organizations are really suffering here. And that's why so many people are leaving. And we keep thinking if we pay a little bit more, people are going to stay. And that's not true. So can you talk a little bit about magic and How can we disrupt this industry right now from a culture perspective? Curiosity. That's the number one thing. So this goes back to using an individual voice to shape your outcomes. I think we have to be curious. We have to be curious. If we had to summarize this entire conversation, it's about being curious about what drives other people and also being curious on how they show up in certain circumstances. What does it mean to be emotional to you? What does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to be authentic? And it means something different to everyone. I will share a quick story. When I started, one of the things that I was asked to lead was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the reason I call it a thing is because it wasn't defined. And so the I had two things. I said, we cannot do quotas. That's a non-negotiable if I take this. Like, we can't do quotas. Easy. Check mark. Great. And then I said, 
and you have to let me go out and talk to the team members. So why I did that was because I knew a couple of things. I had to own that in somebody's eyes, I was going to fail. And that's okay. Because I took the approach to use our individual voices, to use the academic research, to use my thought process and the culture of the organization to make sure we found the right person. And we did. And the way that she is approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion and bringing it, it's not a program. I, did, I wasn't interested in making it a program. It is part of our culture. And we do have quantitative ways and qualitative ways that we measure it. And that was so important to me. So it's curiosity. It's understanding that I had to own once I started hearing the feedback of what people defined as diversity, equity, and inclusion. I had to own that I was going to be a failure in someone's eyes. And I had to get comfortable in that. Yeah. And so once I did, I said, let's do it. And we hired the most amazing leader. Her name is Chanel Ray. She is, we, she and I joke a lot about not being traditional. And we, we have a lot of great conversation about it. She is an academic by background. She has been doing this work for a number of years. And she has such a deep understanding and passion. And so I share that because unless we're curious and unless we're willing to take risk and understand that everything, like you said, it's iterative, everything is not going to be perfect. But if we provide opportunities for people to provide feedback and we shape in the culture that we live in, that is going to make a difference. So you're going to see our president and CEO, he rounds and he puts on a uniform with our board members. And they go and they work beside EBS. And one of our board members, he said, that is the hardest job by beside environmental services, cleaning the beds. But we can't do the work without our environmental services team. We can't. That's right. And so that, I think that to me is providing the space and then acting on it. I can ask you all day, what do you think? There's only so much. Okay, great. Thanks. And it gets tucked away. But to be able to say, you said, we asked, you said, and as a result, we did, and we are not going to do. You mm -hmm. can't just do, we're going to celebrate the good things, but we're also going to own why we can't do everything. And one of the things right now, just to be very transparent that we're struggling with is how do we provide benefits to both birthing and non-birthing parents all at the same time? Mm -hmm. How do we do everything for everyone. And so we've done a lot of work around it. We know childcare is one. We know what those things are. Yeah. And we've created the conversation, but we also tell people when they reach out, why don't we have, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out an equitable way to approach this. If you have any ideas or solutions, please come meet with us. Come talk to us. Yeah. So we're not shutting it down. And the minute you shut someone down, I think you lose them. Wow. Agreed. Really. So powerful. Quanta, anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners today before we close? I think it's important to note that we're not always going to get it right. Someone's going to listen to this and say, oh my goodness, that's not true. Or I can't believe. 
But the bottom line is, I think as long as we are on a journey to be authentic, to really be transparent, to be vulnerable, and to be honest, I will tell you that's my number one thing is honesty. And if we're curious, I think that invites so many more opportunities. The minute we start to assume and assign, I think we've lost the opportunity to learn about ourselves and someone else. Yes. And you are just someone, I think, who is just so honest with who you are as a person and sharing that with others so that others can meet you with that same honesty. I think it really does open the door for that. And that is such a special characteristic. And I I know you probably know this, but I just wanted to share that with you because you talk about magic and I see that as part of your magic. And I've had just in, even in this conversation today, I think our listeners will feel that from you and it's really powerful and it's a beautiful gift. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I have to say you make a very, you create a very comfortable environment and meeting people where they are. So I, there's a reason why you do these podcasts and it's certainly something that you have a talent for in creating that environment. Thank you, Kalinda. I'm going to close today with our speed round. And our speed round is a bunch of questions that, that our listeners are curious about just getting to know more about you, Kalinda. So first quick question and short answers, if you can. First quick question, 20 years from now, looking back on your career, what is one thing that you want to make sure that you can say, like, I did that? Create opportunity for people that didn't previously have it. Awesome. Next question. If you weren't sitting in this role right now and you could be anything in the world and outside the scope of your role, what would you do? I have a tea shop on the beach, a tea and coffee shop on the beach. Yeah, I have a whole, I'd love to be just live this very free life. I'm a structured free spirit. So, (laughs) Wow, you caught me off guard with that one. I wasn't expecting that. That's awesome. What is your favorite vacation destination? Oh, I think it's hard. I like to try new places. So I I don't know that I have one destination, I would say, with my husband, though. We like to explore and go off the beaten path. So anywhere where I'm learning about someone else, myself, my family, or the culture. Love that. And then final question, where can you be found on like a typical Sunday? On a Sunday, probably outside or relaxing with my husband and our two dogs. Oh, that's so nice. And what kind of dogs do you have? We have a pit bull, a little 40-pound pit bull, and a lab mix. Ooh. What are their names? Ricky and Lacey. That's adorable. Yeah. They're rescues. They came with my husband. So we've been married two years this past Monday, actually. Happy anniversary. Thank you. And your new doggy children sound adorable as well. They're awesome. Kalenta, thank you so much for everything. And thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.